studying about prayer. Get your Bibles out. And um, you can turn, keep your finger in the book of Romans. I'm going to be reading out of Romans here in just a moment, as well as 1 Corinthians. It'll take just, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, take just a minute to get there. We're becoming the house of prayer. Becoming the house of prayer. Hopefully you're taking advantage of all the ways that we're trying to increase our prayer power. Reminder that if you didn't get a prayer guide and you want one, they're at the information desk. That's a guide if you're needing help in your prayer time. Sometimes folks have come to me and said, you know, I start praying and it seems like in about three, four minutes I'm, I've, I've run out of things to pray about. Wow. <laughs> I want to live your life. There's probably some more things you need to pray about and if you'll get that prayer guide you can begin to see an outline that will really help you and increase your time before the Lord. It's good to see so many folks coming out at 9.30 before service starts. It was good to have a, a good group of you. People are praying every hour, every waking hour of every day of the week. How many of you have been doing that with me? I mean, isn't that cool to think that every hour that we're awake and moving, somebody in this body's praying for us sometime during that hour. So... We appreciate that. And then, of course, guys, Tuesday, don't forget the warrior walk. And we're just going to begin to make prayer a greater part of our culture here at Legacy. Um, I want to remind you that God has chosen. I believe God to be sovereign, but I believe that God has chosen in his sovereignty to link himself and his dealings in his people's lives with how they pray. God has chosen. Now, he can do anything he wants, anytime he wants to do it. I believe that. But I believe that his precept is that as people pray, he has chosen to link himself most effectively and consistently with those praying people. I will never forget, now, eight plus years ago, I think if I can add in my mind quickly, September the 11th, 9-11, 2001, when those aircraft hit the World Trade Centers and one hit the Pentagon and then one was ultimately commandeered and crashed, I think, in the fields of Pennsylvania. And we just, as a nation, stood stunned and watched as this thing happened before our eyes. And I remember, uh, not to overuse, you know, one of the most overused words now in our culture is the word surreal. Everything's surreal. Well, I don't know if as much as surreal as people say it is, but that moment as I was watching the television set, I remember thinking to myself, this is a dream. This, this is something that I, I, I couldn't imagine at that particular moment. And I will never forget all the newscasts, cable news, radio, the phone calls, all that took place all through the day, how instantly all across America, hundreds of churches were opened that night in order to facilitate people who wanted to be in the house of God and who wanted to pray. And I'll never forget on that particular night, uh, being at church, and I was standing there just kind of watching across the road where we were at that particular time at the apartment complex that was there right across the road. How for years we had tried to strategize and think and imagine how we could reach into all of those people's lives that were represented within that apartment complex. And I'll never forget that night, just turning on the lights. It was, it was an absolute spontaneous thing. There was no way to 
get information out. We didn't hand out any flyers. We didn't make any phone calls. There wasn't anything, you know, marketing that took place in order to tell people, you know, church would be open if you wanted to pray. But I will never forget that night watching as the lights of the sanctuary came on and the doors flung open and watching across the parking lot of that apartment complex and seeing people come out of their apartment complex and begin literally, and I don't use this word lightly, but literally stream across the road in order to come to the house of God. And I remember at that time, Clayton was just in his kind of his middle years in high school. And I remember I got him and I brought him up to the window And I said, Clay, I want you to look at this because you know what? There are a few times in a person's life that you may see something like this and you need to see it with your very own eyes. But I want you to see people for no cause aside from a a national catastrophe. I want you to watch people streaming and come to the house of God. I want you to see this with your own eyes because we may never get to see something like this again. And we all know that, that there was a moment that we sang... You know, all the patriotic uh, hymns on the Capitol steps. We all know that both political parties got together and there was this unification. And we all know how we were all one with regards to dealing with what was dealt to us as a nation. But we also should know this, that it wasn't too long before things got back to normal. For better or for worse, things got back, well, should we say abnormal? We as Americans can only be spiritual for short spurts. I mean, we can be spiritual, don't misunderstand. We'll be spiritual, but we we usually get these short spurts in. We'll get spiritual just for the spurt, and then we get back to whatever we define as normal is in our life. We sputter out, we give up, whatever the case may be. And I think a part of it is that as Americans, particularly, we are so easily distracted We are so easily detoured. We have way too many options as a first world power, superpower. And so naturally, spiritual things get their little spurt and then we go on to something else. I I told you a couple of weeks ago, I was reading a book by Leonard Ravenhill. Have any of you ever heard of Leonard Ravenhill just out of curiosity? Many people don't. He's passed away now, although he lived to a ripe old age. I'm believing that I will live to his age. I think he was about 95 or so when he... When he passed away and he was actually an evangelist in England during World War II. And I told you the story about how when he was preaching open air meetings in London during World War II. How he was convinced that as the Germans were bombing London that this would be the thing that would soften the hearts of the English people. That the bombing of London night after night after night would soften the hearts of the English people. And they would open their hearts up to God. And he said he was convinced that that would be what God would use in order to bring revival to what was his nation. But then he began to see how people, as they would escape the bombing and they would come to the churches, and as they would sit in the pews of the churches, they would still drink and they would still gamble and they would still do all the things that they would normally do. And he said not even the bombs of the German Luftwaffe could could crack the hearts of the English people. I'll just tell you right now, 9-11 didn't crack the hearts of Americans. It really makes me wonder what will. And I've come to the conclusion that the only thing that will crack the heart of our nation or that will crack a human heart 
isn't really the amount of pain that they go through. Although, can I just share this with you? If you think you can outpain God, you're sadly mistaken. I mean, God will use whatever he can in order to turn your heart. Now, God's a blessing God and he wants to help you and he and he wants to bless you. But God will use anything in order to get your attention. And about the time I've seen it so many times, I can't even count. I'll say to myself, surely, surely for that person, they have reached the end of their rope. They have reached the bottom of the barrel. Surely for that person, they've got to the place. Where now is the moment they'll open up their heart to God. But no, no, no. They, they can endure more pain. They are definitely a tough guy. Because they can endure so much more pain. And so through the years I have come to the conclusion. That while pain at times will turn our hearts toward God. And, and while difficulty at times will soften us towards the things of the spirit. I have come to the conclusion to be candid. And it's the biblical one. You would think as a pastor, I would have got a hold of this a lot quicker. That the only thing that will crack the heart of a nation or the heart of a people or our region or our city is when someone or some people decide they are going to persistently pray. That's it. There is nothing else that will crack the human heart than when we consistently and persistently pray. And I want to teach you something this morning. That I've mentioned on other occasions, usually I've splattered it in a message here or there. But I really started to think about it while I was away this week. And I want to touch on it this morning. And this is kind of, I won't call it new revelation, but I'll just call it new instruction, new teaching. And I want to talk to you about the concept of momentum. I want everyone to say momentum. Momentum. Say that a couple times. Momentum. Yeah. The word momentum is usually associated with things that pertain to sports. Sometimes politics, even, even business. But rarely do you hear the word momentum attached to spiritual things. Let me give you just a couple of examples. I, I enjoy sports like so many other people. And I have watched on occasion a sports team that is losing, let's say it's a football team. Let's just say it's the Gamecocks because that can happen on occasion, yeah. You know, I wasn't born in this state, so I really don't have a dog in the hunt. I can can root for them both, but I I am a sympathy fan towards the Gamecocks. so. So anyway, you're just watching Carolina on the field. They're losing. But suddenly, suddenly, you sense a change in the way the game is going. In fact, I have seen a team which was behind. They're behind on the scoreboard. And yet the team that is behind on the scoreboard will suddenly get a momentum. And, and it's hard to define. You, you, you can't get your finger on it exactly. But you just know they're behind on the scoreboard. But you know because there's this momentum. I've watched this happen too many times. There's this momentum. In fact, I'll just tell you this time. Usually Carolina is ahead on the scoreboard. The other team is behind, but you can sense the other team getting momentum. And the clock's running out. And you're just believing God for a victory. But there's this momentum. You can sense it. It's like this spiritual thing, but you know, it's sports. So uh, we're not going to get into spiritual things here. But, it, but you know, And you just know before it happens they're going to score. And they've won the game. Now listen, they're losing on the scoreboard. But because they have this momentum, you know that ultimately 
they're going to win the ball game. Have you ever been to a ball game? Come on, ladies, guys, and sense momentum. Maybe you played sports. You know when you have momentum. There's something in the air. Everybody knows it. You can't put your finger on it exactly, but you know it's there. It's, even in an election, you know in an election, there's, there's momentum that candidates have. There's just this, this momentum. It's, it's got a life of its own. There's, there's momentum in business. Sometimes a salesperson you know, they go through seasons where they just can't make a sale. They can't close a deal. But then all of a sudden, this momentum shows up and, and they can close anything. And they make all of these sales. So, so momentum is something we all know is out there, but it's hard to define. It's hard to bottle. You know it when you have it and you know it when you don't. It's like a snowball going down a hill. Once there's momentum, it has a life of its own. There's no stopping it. Now, there's two kinds of momentum. This is not any great revelation, but it's the truth. There is positive momentum. Everything's falling your way. You're conquering all the hard cases. You're winning when you're actually losing on the scoreboard. In fact, I think positive momentum may be what the Bible calls favor. Favor. Favor comes and it doesn't matter what you put your hand to, it doesn't matter what you're doing, it seems like everything just works out great. I'll never forget John Maxwell once saying, he said, when you have good momentum or positive momentum, it can actually make you look better than you really are because there's momentum. Now, there's also, if there's positive momentum, there would also be what? Man, see, you guys are smart. Negative momentum. Now, some of you have experienced this too. It seems like everything is falling apart. Everything is going the wrong way. It doesn't matter what you do. You tried to do what was right, but it's going the wrong way. It's even an easy thing to do and it falls apart. You put your hand to it and you can just count on it. It's going to absolutely fall to pieces. And Maxwell also said, he said, when you have negative momentum or bad momentum, it can make you look worse than you really are. Because of the concept of momentum. Now, you're saying, what does this have to do with spiritual things? I'm getting there. There are many people who have studied momentum from like a psychological viewpoint. But I want to tell you this morning, I've come to the conclusion, and I believe that there's such a thing as spiritual momentum. Spiritual momentum, and to take it a step further... I believe that that momentum is generated through the practice of persistent and consistent praying. If we will pray consistently and persistently as a people, or if you will pray as an individual consistently and persistently, you will begin to generate a spiritual momentum that will take you to the place that you are unstoppable spiritually. Now, Listen to me. The reason we are stoppable is because we quit consistently and persistently praying. And when we quit praying, all of a sudden the momentum stops. Now hear me, this is really a good point and I'm going to keep coming back to this point this morning. Here's what happens is we get a little momentum. We're praying, we're believing God, we're getting a little momentum and because we've got a little favor and a little momentum and it's a little bit better than it was, we stop praying. And the minute we stop praying, things don't instantly fall apart. Why is that, that they don't instantly fall apart? It's because through prayer, you've generated a spiritual momentum. 
Once you get something started, it takes a while for it to slow down. So what we do, we do it as a nation, we do it as a people, we do it as individuals. We begin to pray and pray and pray. Things begin to move. We praise God, glory, hallelujah. And then we decide to rest and stop. And now things keep going for a little while longer. And you know what that is? I call that, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I call that a deception almost. Because it makes you think that you don't have to pray and you get away with it. Because things still tend to look like they're happening. And it isn't until much further down the road where all of a sudden things stop. And, and, and maybe it shakes you into realization. Things have stopped. Things, are, things aren't like they were. And some people scramble. And they begin to pray again. And as they begin to pray again, they start getting things moving again and again and again. But the problem is in a lot of people's life is, is that they don't get it. The enemy comes back in and he begins to blind them or veil them again to how spiritual things work. And what happens is negative momentum begins to take place. People begin to do the wrong thing. They begin to go back to old ways. They begin to put into practice the things that don't lead to life. They begin to develop that negative momentum again. They sleep in. They don't be, they aren't in the house of God. They don't want, you're with me now. And so suddenly, that snowball begins to move. It doesn't start out fast at first. No, at first there's just a thing or two that'll fall apart and you're tough enough and you're savvy enough and you're smart enough that you can keep it all together. But what happens is, is that life begins to move further and further. That momentum catches up until finally your whole life is falling apart and you don't have what it takes to keep it all together. And then you wake up and go, God, my life's falling apart. How am I going to do this? So you say, I know, i got to get back to God. And so you get back to God and you start praying. And and, and understand, you start praying again and and you're trying to stop this momentum and you finally get it stopped. And you keep praying and you get it moving again. And then things get a little better and you have a little favor and momentum happens and then you stop again. And I just gave you in that short little five minute crazy little personal, illustrated message, people's lives. People's lives are usually lived between catastrophe and just barely getting the momentum going. That's where most people, dare I say, 99%, that's where most people live. I want to get you past this place so that you can get into the exceedingly abundant thing. I want to get you to the place where you're an overcomer in all things. I want to get you to the place that the Bible becomes literally true to you where it says that you have become triumphant in everything. Do you realize those are the promises in God's word? Do you realize that there are promises in his word that says you're the head and not the tail? You're above and not belief? The blessing should come upon you. And then what does it say? It would over. Now, isn't that, a, that that's a momentum passage there, isn't it? It says if the enemy comes against you one way, he will scatter in seven ways. You'll be blessed in your barns and your baskets. I mean, all of this happens and we read it and we, we believe it. But we say to ourselves, boy, it just seems like it's not happening. Well, you know what? I believe we've got to press through that one stage and get to the place where we're seeing that kind of spiritual happening take place in our lives. 
Are you with me? If you're with me, say amen, please. Amen. All right. Because I really want to help you here. I believe a sports team, just as a sports team can turn around what appears to be a losing game to ultimately win through the change of momentum in the dynamics of the game, I believe the church can turn around what looks to be a losing attempt at reaching a decaying culture. I believe that the church right now, though it may not be high on the culture's list, and though it appears at times we as a people, even as individual Christians, seem to be losing more than we're winning, can I just say this to you? That we might be losing on the scoreboard, we might lose in the Supreme Court, and we might lose in the halls of Congress and legislation, and we might lose in all sorts of ways, but I'm telling you, we have an ability to generate a momentum that no matter what the scoreboard looks like, say, we can still win the game. And God's called us to win the game. But you've got to get this revelation and understanding. Now, I, I just called it. You see, it took me this long, honey, to get to the... That's just the introduction. I know people are going, sweet Jesus, it's the introduction. How long is he going to go? All right. We're talking about momentum. The momentum. I want to talk about the momentum of prayer. Let me read you a couple quick verses here. Uh, Romans chapter 1. You say, what do these verses have to do with prayer? I'm going to tell you just here in a moment. Romans 1, 16 and 17, it says this. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Everyone say, faith to faith. Faith to faith. Now, the reason I'm having you say things out loud is because I believe if you say it out loud, it'll stick. Faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Something sort of familiar, the concept is here. 2 Corinthians three eighteen. it says this. But we all, isn't that good to know? Whenever he says we all, see that, that's why I know Paul was a southerner. See, we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So in Romans, we saw from faith to faith. Here in 2 Corinthians, we see from glory to glory. Now there are certain concepts, I think, in the Bible that get overlooked, and I believe this concept of spiritual momentum is one of them. All of us realize there are seasons in our life, in our circumstances, there can be seasons in the church body when we know that there is momentum. You can feel it, you can sense it, you know something's happening. And I believe that these verses that I just read to you allude to exactly that, that we are moved from one level or aspect of faith to another. In other words, we just don't stop at one place. We're moved from faith to faith. So we're moving. We are experiencing one level or aspect of glory to another. So we're moving from glory to glory. Our spiritual lives were never designed to be static or stagnant. But our lives and, and what God did in our lives was designed to be dynamic and vibrant. Now, you have heard me on occasion uh, mention the phrase... 
God always eclipses himself. Have you, have you heard me say that? God always eclipses himself. Now what that means is, is that means that God is ever surpassing. God is ever, ever uh, outdoing himself. Whatever God has done, he is always he is always eclipsing that or doing something greater than that. He never, God never comes and underwhelms us. I mean, isn't that true? If God shows up in your life, you don't walk away and go, whoa, that was underwhelming. No, no, no. Whenever God shows up, it usually is kind of, whoa, that, that's cool. I mean, at the very least, it's a that's cool. Sometimes it's a, wow, can you believe that? God never loses. Amen. You see him come up to the plate, he wins. He never finishes on a lesser note than what he started. He is always eclipsing himself. The Bible says that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. So whatever God does, it will always be greater than what he did before. Because God's inexhaustible. He just can't exhaust himself. He's always got something better, something greater. And so for lack of a better term, God himself always has what we would call a spiritual momentum. It's always working for God. I mean, God does one thing in the life of Jesus. Incredible things, blow you away kind of things. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, the works that I do, you shall do. And greater works than these will you do. So so he says, he goes, if you think this blows you away, God's got momentum. He's going to do even bigger things than you all. Incredible. But our problem is that while God may have this momentum at work for him, we don't always have it at work in our lives, and that's not God's fault. Let me give you just a couple of examples. I'm going to give you a couple quick examples, one from the Old Testament, one from the New. I'll do this quickly. In 1 Kings chapter 18, I'm not going to, read to you all the verses that are there. You can read it yourself. It's the account of Elijah where he begins to confront the false prophets of Baal there at Mount Carmel. Now, most people know the Mount Carmel story where he basically taunts the prophets, the false ones, and tells them to do their thing and do their dance and all the rest. And, and if, if your God be God, let him answer by fire. But if the one true God is God, let him answer by fire. And we all know the end of the story that Jehovah, Yahweh, shows up and 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 consumes by fire everything that's there and, and so there's this incredible account of the power of god coming uh, with elijah as he's confronting these false prophets but in the next few verses which oftentimes get overlooked we enter into a story about elijah breaking the drought that existed in the land and we all know the story that he declared a drought it had been existing for years and now was the time that the drought was going to be over and so Elijah, interestingly enough, begins to pray. And the Bible tells us that he prays and he sends his servant out to check the sky. And so he prays the first time, sends his servant out, and the servant says, nope, it's a clear sky today. That's the weather report. And so the Bible says that Elijah goes and he prays again. And after he prays the second time, he sends his servant out. The servant looks and he goes, nope, nope, not a thing happening in the sky the Bible says that Elijah has to go back and pray seven times. He has to pray seven times. Now listen to me now. He prays seven times. How many of us would have just after twice would have said, well, I guess it just isn't God's will. Guess it's just not the Lord. Guess we ought to try something else. Maybe try irrigating. You know, I don't know. But he prays seven times. And then the seventh time his servant goes out. And even the servant, this is really interesting. Because the servant wasn't all that convinced 
that what he was about ready to share with Elijah really was going to break the drought. He said, well, I do see a cloud in the distance. It's about the size of my hand. Now, I read that and I say to myself, he, he just doesn't think that's much. But Elijah looks and he says, get your buckets ready. There's a rain that's coming. But you understand what happened. There was a spiritual momentum. He had to go back and pray. And he had to go back and pray and pray and pray and pray and believe and pray. And prayer started this momentum of bringing rain again to the land. Now, the, 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 the greatest New Testament example of spiritual momentum, I think, is in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. I, I think it's a great example because here you have this group of believers. They're in this upper room. They, they basically cloistered themselves for 50 days, according to what Jesus has said. And for 50 days, now imagine this, praying for 50 days. Folks, we have a hard time praying for 50 minutes. 50 days, they're in this upper room and they're praying and seeking God. Can you imagine after about a week or so, they'd be looking at each other and say, come on, man, God, God isn't going to do anything. 50 days. You know, 30 days is a month. <laughs> you know, 40 days is like God's number. I could have made a case after 40 saying, well, you know, maybe we ought to just... The reason it was Pentecost was it's 50 days. But they pray and they pray and they pray and they pray. And there's something that's building in that upper room. There's something that's happening in that upper room. There, there, there's this spiritual momentum that is beginning to take place and when that thing breaks loose the scripture tells us that when that momentum unstoppable momentum broke loose it received into the church that day three thousand people now that's a pretty good altar call right there three thousand people but that's not where it ended remember they had momentum they're still praying in Acts chapter 4. They're still gathering together, believing that Peter gets sprung from jail. They're needing to be filled with the Spirit again. They keep praying, the Bible says. And then just a few days later, 5,000 families, families come in to the body of Christ that day. That's what momentum begins to do. And in every instance of an unusual spiritual happening, we find a buildup of prayer opportunity and intensity. It's as if in the spirit realm, our intercession begins to move something. When we begin to intercede and we begin to pray, we begin to move something in the, in the fourth dimension. We begin to move, I believe, walls that the enemy has constructed. We begin to move our strongholds. We begin to move old forces that are arrayed against us. We begin to move. Nothing will move unless it gets challenged. Nothing will move unless it gets pressed. And, and as we are persistent and as we are consistent, it begins to build such momentum that if we, if we continue in it for all ostensive purposes, it reaches an unstoppable place. I have seen all through church history, and I've got letters behind my name with regards to church history, so you can count on this fact, that in people's individual lives, and in the church, whenever there have been awakenings or what we call revivals or any of these things, there's always many people who have determined they were going to pray. They were just going to keep praying. 
They didn't see anything, but they were going to keep praying. They kept sending people outside and say, do you see, do you see, in, do you see the harvest coming in? And they go, nope, 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 nope. Just like Elijah and his servant. Until finally somebody goes out and says, well, I did, I did see one guy kind of stumble into church this morning. He ain't much, just kind of, you know, just not much. And we got to get a spirit on us that says, glory to God, get your nets ready. The harvest is coming. The harvest isn't all of a sudden going to show up with five, you know, everybody thinks 5,000 people are going to show up one day. That's not how it's going to work. One person is going to show up one day and God's waiting to see if we say, glory to God, get your buckets ready. Get your buckets ready. People who get spiritually renewed. You've probably seen this. You see someone come maybe to the altars of the church or maybe they're at connect group or somewhere and they open up their heart and they receive the Lord. And oftentimes in a person's life, when they first receive the Lord, there is this spiritual momentum. They're excited about their decision. They're excited about what Jesus is doing in their life. They begin to build this momentum. And and this is what I believe. I believe that a lot of times in new believers' lives, they see more victory than a lot of old timers or old believers like me. They see more victory because they get this momentum going. You see, we've been around it for so long. We've just become familiar. We know the ropes. We know the lingo. We know what needs to be done. We just kind of do it. And, and there's, no, there's no passion. There's no pers- persistence or consistency. I mean, these people have been plucked out of the fire, some of them. And for them to survive just a few minutes in the world, they've got to pray without ceasing. And in everything, give thanks. And they build up this momentum. And I'm always amazed at new believers because a lot of times they'll get the best miracle. Because they get that momentum going. But here's the problem. They come to church and they watch us. Yeah, man. They learn from us. You wish you could take them away somewhere. Send them to Korea. Let them, let them learn Christianity with Cho or someone like that. I mean, don't, don't please, oh God, you're going to send more Americans in and they're going to learn American Christianity. You see, momentum can be broken. We all know that revivals don't last forever, do they? People aren't perpetually blessed. Boy, wouldn't that be great? Now, that's a fact. I'm not saying that's what the Bible says should happen, but I'm saying that's that's an observation. Nobody has an undefeated season forever. And so you know what happens? Because of that, we say to ourselves, listen to me now. Well, that just must be normal. That must just be normal. You know, I guess I can't be blessed constantly because if I was blessed constantly, I guess that wouldn't be fair. Or I don't know what we do. And, and, I, and I guess I, 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 we can't have perpetual victory because if there were perpetual victory, that doesn't seem like that just fits with everything. And isn't that really the way it's supposed to be? I'm looking at everybody else's life and it doesn't seem like they have that much victory or they're walking in perpetual blessing. And here's the deal. We begin to look, we begin to look at each other and look at our, our church culture and we begin to evaluate everything from what we see with our natural eyes and we begin to say well that just must be the way it is and can i just suggest to you that while i love you and i appreciate you and some of you all have a fine christian testimony and an upright walk and you would be worthy of emulating but can i just share this with you as much as that may be true you are still not everything that God says he is in here and if I get my eyes off of you and get my eyes back on what he has promised then maybe I could press through the phrase that's just the way life's supposed to be see I'm not here to tell you well that's just the way life is so buckle up 
You know, I'm here to tell you, I believe there's a place we got to get to. My Bible tells me, let me read this verse to you real quick. Romans 8, 37. Romans 8, 37. Listen now, he says, yet in all these things. Now, he'd mentioned quite a bit of things here. As far as things that can happen to you, challenges that can come your direction, detours, hurts, pains. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Now, do you believe that? See, I have to ask myself that question. I either believe that or I don't. We are more than conquerors. The Bible says, this is the promise the Bible gives me. Now, I don't know whether your life does this or not. That's why I can't look at you. That's why you can't always look at me. I want to be a good model and a good example for you. And I want to walk that way. But ultimately, whether or not I can walk everything out to the nth degree is yet to be seen. But this I know. The Bible says that I can conquer in all things. In fact, not just conquer, more than conquer. More than conquer. I believe that this, this, this deception I mentioned earlier is, is when we get this positive momentum going, we want to just surf the wave. And when we surf the wave, we, we, we aren't doing the work and the discipline and the diligence of prayer. We begin to presume on the grace of God rather than let the grace of God work in us to bring about discipline and diligence. And eventually what happens is the wave ends. But we don't see the wave coming, uh, ending because we quit the discipline of prayer that brought it. So you, you're, you're following me. See, the New Testament church, this is interesting because they spring out of Pentecost. They've got this incredible momentum. And literally for two centuries, two centuries, they have this incredible momentum despite the fact they're under persecution. Uh, they're under incredible trial and difficulty. The Roman uh, Empire is trying to wipe them out. We all know the stories of the early years of the church. But suddenly, suddenly they become accepted. They find favor in the culture. And the minute they find favor in the culture, they quit praying. See, you'll pray when you watch your friends go to the Colosseum. You'll be praying, oh God... Please either let it not be me or give me the strength to do this if it comes my turn. I guarantee you, you'll be praying. If, well, number one is your Christian commitment is probably pretty clear or you wouldn't want to get into this thing called Christianity, probably. But, but here you are, you're praying and you're seeking God and the church is flourishing despite all this, this, this evil havoc that's being wreaked upon it but all of a sudden constantine says says that's over with and the church prays its way to the place of favor the church prays its way to the place where constantine issues his edict of toleration that finally tells the persecuted church you're now the popular church and we're going to embrace you and we're going to let you serve and let you function and let you worship and all the things that the church had prayed for constantine says we're going to let you do that and the minute that kind of favor comes to them they quit praying and what happens is is that even greater deception floods into the church and it leads in just two centuries. Now listen, momentum doesn't stop overnight. No, they continued to go on. The church continued to grow. There were certainly favorable things that took place. But then by the time you get to about A.D. 500, 
it starts what we now call the dark ages and in the dark ages there were there were no spiritual renewals there was no revival there was no positive spiritual influence everything had gone the way of corruption and everything spiritually halted because they stopped praying it's the same thing that happens when you stop praying i mean some of you have faced incredibly difficult times and to your credit you have prayed and you have pressed through and you reached a place of favor and you handed in your prayer request and trace stood up and she read it and we all rejoiced with you and isn't god good and he is but then you just stopped and it won't catch up to you for a while because you built momentum but it will catch up and when it catches up then we say to ourselves what in the world do we do need to do to get it back and going again we all know people that were phenomenally blessed and yet ended up in the ditch we all know great churches who had it on the ball and that god was using big time that God was blessing, and yet now they're empty, or now they're closed. They all had a momentum at one time. Where did it go? Well, they stopped doing the things that got them there. Their momentum kept them going for a season, but even that momentum eventually runs out. I believe that God has called this generation to experience the last great outpouring of His presence. I believe we're that generation. That, that the, the Lord is coming soon, I believe that. I believe that before he comes, there's yet one revival yet to take place in the earth. I believe that you and I are a part and commissioned to be a prayer part of, of seeing that renewal begin to take place. But we're going to have to be committed to keeping the momentum. It doesn't matter what we see. It only matters that we keep the momentum in prayer moving. How do you do that? Well, let me just share a couple things about maintaining it. I'm really, I'm just about done. I want to clarify something like anything else in life, whether it's sports, whether it's your business, politics, whatever it may be, you can have momentum, but that doesn't mean your enemy suddenly gives up or cries uncle. You got to realize you can have momentum, but the enemy doesn't just roll over. In fact, the truth of the matter, I could tell you all sorts of illustrations about war. You know, the old World War II illustration about how the allies landed on the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. And, and they had to break through the German resistance there on the beaches. And, and they knew that as soon as they could break that resistance on the beach, that there would be a momentum. Basically, from D-Day on, everyone knew that the Allies had won the war. But despite knowing that, you know, philosophically, or with regards to strategic issues as you plan a war, they still had to move forward. And they still had to face resistance. And you need to realize that even as we develop spiritual momentum, that doesn't mean that suddenly there's no more devils to cast out. I'll guarantee you, they'll show up as you're getting momentum. There'll still be people to heal. There'll still be the lies and the attacks of the enemy. But the momentum we develop will greatly diminish the effect of those attacks and those issues. Because you know you're winning the war. Now, there are four things. I, I, can, I can give you four things. I won't give you 24 things. Four things you can do that can maintain, help maintain your spiritual momentum. Number one, it's this. You've got to desire. You've got to get the passion. The desire to overcome spiritually. 
Everything starts with desire. To be triumphant, to be victorious, to be an overcomer, you must have the desire to be that. You got to have a passion for it. If, if you just kind of ho-hum about overcoming, and we're talking about overcoming your bondages, overcoming addictions, overcoming sins, overcoming wherever it is you're in life, overcoming whatever stronghold. If, if, if you really want to overcome and live in victory, then you've got to have a passion for this. If it's, if it's kind of, well, you know, yeah, probably I ought to do what pastor says. I guess I can see that. I, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, I'll try that. You know, just let, let it go. It'll frustrate you. Just, it'll frustrate you. I just, I give you permission. Let it go. Keep coming. We'll love you. But you got to get a passion. You got to have a passion to be a winner. You got to want to triumph. You must really want to see the promise and the purposes of God manifested in your life. I mean, you got to want this thing. Years ago, I played baseball and it was about the only sport I did very well was play a little baseball. And I'll never forget, we had a great team. We had great players and, and we, we had been uh, predicted to go to the state championship game because we had all these players coming back their senior year and we were really, really good. But about halfway through the year, we were playing 500 ball. We, we won as many as we had lost and it was uncharacteristic of who we are, who we were as a ball team. And I'll never forget the coach bringing us in to the locker room and, you know, he used all those baseball words on us, which I can't use here today. But, but it, he, was, he was sharing from his heart, obviously. And, and he's saying, you know what's wrong with you guys? You guys play not to lose instead of playing to win. And there is a difference. Christians tend to do the same thing. We play not to lose. We want to give it the bare minimum. What do we have to do? What? Tell me, tell me, please. Tell me the lowest common denominator. Tell me the bare minimum that I need to be doing in order to keep my nose above the waterline so I can still breathe fairly well. We want to give it the bare minimum. What's the minimum expectation? What's the minimum I can demonstrate and still get the good verses in my life? I mean, I see all the promises. I love it when pastor preaches the happy verses. Now, man, that's really cool that God's going to do this stuff. What? Tell me, what is the bare minimum I have to do? We do this in all of life. We go, we go to school and say, what is the minimum number of classes I have to have in order to get my degree? I mean, we, we do that, don't we? What's the minimum amount of hours that I have to put into this in order to get this? What's the minimum? What's my minimum monthly payment that I need to make on my credit card in order to keep me charging? I mean, that's how we live. I'm going to give you a news flash. Jesus said that we were to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy soul, and all thy strength. Everything you've got. Everything you've got. If, if all you can do and I'm not, I'm not crawling your case. I hope you understand. Everybody's got to start where they are. But as you start where you are, don't think that's the finish line. But as you're starting, I understand you're going to start and you're going to build up. But folks, we got to get past the place of a little dabble do you prayer. We got to get to the place where five minutes wears us out. We've got to get to the place where we begin to find those moments we can steal away and begin to seek God and, and talk to Him again. We've got to get back to the place where it's not just me teaching or preaching to you this book, but that you actually can open it up and read it for yourself and begin to ask yourself the question, what is God saying to me? We got to desire this stuff, man. You got to want it. 
You got to want it. I want it. I want victory. I don't want, I'm sick and tired. I don't know. Do you really like defeat? I mean, I'll just have, I mean, let me go down the list. Do you like being sick? Do you like being impoverished? How many like, how many like all the debts that you've created? How many, how many, how many like, how many like bank accounts being bled? How many, I mean, I go down the list. How many like struggles in your relationship? How many like divorce? How many, how many really like it? I mean, it's amazing how many four out of seven want to get divorced, but nobody likes it once they go through it. You would think that would stop it. But that doesn't do it either. Why is it? Because we want, what's the bare minimum? What's the shortcut? You've got to want it. The desire. Okay. That's number one. You want momentum. You got to have desire. Number two, then you've got to refuse to accept defeat. It's a little bit different. We give in too easy. We quit when it gets too hard. I mean, it's no deep, dark secret. There's times I've wanted to quit. I mean, I love you all, but sometimes y'all wear me out. I love you. I do. I love you. Just like a dad would love you. But I'm just telling you, people will flat wear you out. And there are moments you get worn out and you just want to quit. I have been there. I've been on the brink of a quit a couple times in my life. You know, you go to pastor's conferences and the big joke is every Monday morning we write out our resignations and then we rip it up on Tuesday. Because it's just, you just want to quit. But we've got to refuse to accept defeat. The blessings, the blessings are on the other side of your refusal to quit. Right there is your quit line. And you say to yourself, oh God, if, if you take me to the quit line, it's over. Oh God, if, if, if you even get me near there, you won't have me anymore. <laughs> like you're going to hold God hostage. I'm, gonna, I'm just telling you, God, you're not going to have me anymore. <laughs> and God's going, <laughs> all right. And you know what God does? He is not only going to bring you to the quit line, he's going to take you beyond the quit line. You know what the difference between the quit line and beyond the quit line is? The quit line is when you thought about resigning. Beyond the quit line is when you wrote it out. He's going to take you right here. And you got to refuse to quit. Refuse to quit. It does not matter how far down you may be or how far down you feel like you are. The Bible says that he's seen the righteous seven times. Go down seven times and they keep popping back up again. You got to keep popping back up again and just refuse to quit. You know who the winners are really spiritually are those who refuse to quit. You just refuse to quit. I'm not throwing in the towel. I may be down. I may be out. Life may not be perfect. I wish things were different, but I'm not quitting. God can't work with a quitter, but he can work with somebody who may be down, but they're staying in the hunt. And you've got to refuse to accept defeat. If you've got, listen to me, if you've got a sin that easily besets you, I understand it's a frustrating thing. You may not like it. No one else likes it. But there's got to be a place where you say, number one, I'm determined to beat it. And number two is, I'm not quitting. I'm not quitting it. I mean, you're quitting that, but you're not quitting the walk. I mean, God is great at comebacks. Amen. Number three, got to hurry. The discipline 
to stick to the spiritual game plan. I'm telling you how to keep your momentum. The discipline to stick to your spiritual game plan. Panic is an instigation of the enemy. If he can get you to panic, you will try something besides the word to get you to victory. Panic makes you do dumb things. Panic makes you throw your power and your authority away. Momentum will continue when you keep the main things the main thing. We panic because of a circumstance or a situation. And then we say, well, prayer, it doesn't work. You know, positive confession, it don't work. We just, we panic. We're panicked and we start tossing all this, this stuff out and we go to something in the flesh. Listen, momentum keeps happening when you keep your discipline, even in those moments of great trial and great trouble. We rebel for years and we want God to move in minutes. Come on now, let's, let's just make sense of this. Give God a little time. I mean, we live for the devil for two, three, four decades. And then we want God to clean things up in a week. Now, I believe God's much swifter than the enemy. But come on, let's just give him a year. I, I mean, you would be amazed if you would give God one year of your life. Let's just say you live to be 80 years old. I think that's a reasonable number. I mean, I think that's, that's probably the national average somewhere in there. Let's just, let's just say give him a solid year, everything you've got. One uh, and then 79 years, you, just, you can do what you want. If that's what it takes to get this in your brain. One year, I, will, I would be willing, if I were a betting man, to bet you that you would be better off in that one year than the 79 you might give to the enemy or anything else. I'd be willing to stake my reputation on that if you gave it everything you got. So you got to be disciplined to stick to the game plan. Then number four, the diligence, I, just, I didn't know any other way to put this, to pray hard. I hate to use the word hard because I don't think this is hard. I, I think it's diligent. I think it's consistent, persistent. I guess at first you might feel like it's hard. But to pray intensely, maybe that's a better way to put it, until the end. I've told this story before. I was at an Oklahoma University football game years ago. And it was back in the mid-70s when they were national champions. It seemed like every year in they were playing, I believe it was Kansas University, which was like, you know, David and Goliath. I mean, it was just, it was, it was, it was two teams, one that was incredibly good and one that was just incredibly poor. And, and Oklahoma had run up the score to about 72 to nothing. And I mean, we're not done with the game yet. And they had the fourth team freshman squad in there and they're running the ball down the field and they're fixing to score. And uh, I'll never forget, the people are just, they're cheering and screaming. I mean, 72 to nothing. You would have thought people would have gone on home. No, there was still a sea of red. They were cheering for the fourth team freshman squad to go and put it in again and score. 72 to nothing, they're ahead. And the crowd's still cheering. My dad, I'll never forget what my dad said. He said, just kind of listening to it all go on, he said, if you ever wondered what the Christians must have felt like in the Colosseum, this is probably as close as we'll ever get. 72 to nothing, and they're cheering for another score. Well, to make a long story short, they ended with a little bit of class and, and didn't go in for the touchdown. But I'll never forget, as you watch certain teams, and, and the guys may get this quicker than the ladies will get this, but your, your winners, I mean your real winners, 
are people that are in the game until the end. There's no give up in them. They aren't really even looking at the scoreboard. They're, they're just playing as hard as they can every minute of the game that they are in. They play hard for all four quarters or two halves or whatever the sports analogy is. I, I mean, I watch Tiger Wood in golf and I've seen him look like he's not going to win. But he'll go down to the 18th hole and the last putt and he'll play that thing as hard as he did the first tee. I mean, it doesn't matter what the score says. Why won't Christians, when they get the enemy on the run, keep running up the score? Like, do you want to be fair with him? As if he's fair with you? I mean, we, when we get the enemy on the run, we need to run the score up as high as it will go. We get just a little bitty relief in our life and we want to put things in neutral. We get a little drizzle of blessing and we think how blessed we are. We need to pray not just to the place of relief, but to the place of our promise. We need to not pray just for a little drizzle, but for a deluge, the early and the latter rains together. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We need to set in motion spiritual momentum out of the first quarter of this year that will propel us not only through 2009 but that will take us on until Jesus comes for us come on I'm prophesying to some of you some of you have a destiny some of you have a promise some of you have a purpose some of you right now are in difficult situations. Some of you are in a good season. I'm telling all of you right now that God is saying that if we'll be consistent and persistent and that if we'll press through and begin to develop the momentum and keep it moving, yes, there is a place in Him, hear me now, where the blessing will not only come upon you, but it will overtake you. That there is a place in Him where the exceeding abundant thing above all that you could ask or think will begin to take place in your life. There is a place in Him where you'll begin to overcome all things. You'll triumph over all things. I don't know about you, I want that place. I desire that place. I want a passion to get to that place. Right now, some of you have settled in your relationships and you've settled in your finances and you've settled... Just in your jobs and your careers, you just settled for maybe if I can just break even. I break that off you. Come on. Get back to your prayer closet. Get that momentum going. Don't just do life. Begin to live life victoriously. You got to want it. And I believe there's a momentum. I'm just telling you, since January, we've been fasting, right? February, we learned about faith. Important. And now finally, here in March, we're going we're gonna to put that key in to pray, and to pray, and to pray. You know, the Bible says, Jesus said this at one time, he said, he said that you were to ask, to seek, and to knock, and I'm done with this. Literally in the Greek, because that's a participle, and so you've got to put an I-N-G on the end of it. It literally says, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Pray. Keep on praying. You know what I think that verse means? I think it's about Luke eleven eighteen 18, somewhere in there. That verse says to me, keep the momentum going. Keep the momentum happening. 
Don't, when you turn your praise report in, we'll, we'll rejoice with you, but as you turn it in, don't say to yourself, that's the end. Say, that's just the first. That's just the tip of the iceberg for what God wants to do in my life and in our church's life. When someone comes and gives their heart to the Lord, I must begin to say as pastor, I can rejoice because the Bible says the angels rejoice over one who would come, sure, and we rejoice. But then to say, Lord, this isn't it. This is just the tip of the iceberg of the harvest that you have. God's going to do it if, if we'll adhere to what he said by way of momentum. Amen. Stand with me, will you please? Guys, just keep it quiet for a minute in the back, would you please? Just keep it quiet. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for everything. Lord, that you're unveiling and you're revealing and you're sowing inside of us. Lord, I believe there's a spirit of diligence that's coming to your people right now. Right now, Lord, that there is something inside I, I, I can sense, Lord, in my discerner. That there are commitments that as people rose to their feet, I could hear their inner voices literally say, I'm not giving up. I'm not going to quit. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm going to get a passion for this. Come on. Some of you right now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just listen to me. There was a day, listen, heads bowed, eyes closed, just listen to me. There was a day before I met Jesus. That it didn't matter whether it was Monday, it was Monday through Thursday. I had a passion for the weekend. Unfortunately, my passion usually had to deal with partying and doing the deeds of darkness. But I can remember the passion I had. I couldn't wait for the weekend to get here. I couldn't wait for this particular activity that I would have defined as fun at that time. I had, I had just this passion We'd start making plans. We'd start thinking about it. We'd, we'd, we'd pull together all the coordination with all my, my group of friends. And, and we'd start at the very beginning of the week trying to figure out how in the world it was all going to work out through the weekend. Listen to me. I'm just, I'm just saying this. We give the enemy and his deeds and the darkness so much of our passions. Come on. God. Jesus gave himself that you might have life and that more abundantly... And then somehow or another, we think that's just going to just come into our life sort of as we sort of trip into things. Come on, we got to get our passion back. We got to get our desire back. We got to get the want to. I want a victory. I want life to work well. I want to be at peace. I want joy. I want my hope back. I want to know that I have a future. I want to be able to walk in that future. I, I, I'm not just living with this dangling hope. I believe that it's out there for me to grasp hold of. Come on, but you've got to want it. You've got you to get the quit out of your system. Come on, some of you jumped in and out, and, and I know there's reasons. We all have a reason, but let's just, let's just throw it all away right now, and let's just say, I refuse to quit. I'm just, I'm just, I, you know what? I refuse to give up. I refuse to quit. Come on, let the grace of God empower you to rise up. I want some of you this morning to be encouraged. You've been practicing certain disciplines and spiritual diligence, 
with prayer. I just want you to be encouraged. You just keep on. You, you say, well, I haven't seen much from it. That's okay. Come on, we're not walking by sight. We're walking by faith. And let me tell you something. I don't know how many days it'll take to turn a life, a culture around. But what else, what else do you have to do? It's the good fight. It's the best thing you could be involved in. Don't give up. Some of you have let it go, and I'm just encouraging you right now. Right now. You need, you need to get the momentum going again in your life. Don't be mad at God. Don't be mad at His people. Don't be mad. Don't be bitter. Don't be offended. Truth of the matter is, you lost your momentum, and it wasn't His fault. It wasn't anybody's fault, probably but yours. And so right now, would you just, just make a commitment to the Lord saying, Lord, I'm leaving this place this morning. And I don't know how that works exactly in the spirit realm, but we're going to get things moving in the right direction. And then there's the last group. Some of you right now, you're in, you're in catastrophe zone. The bottom of the barrel, the end of the rope. And you know what? I want you to know that God loves you. We love you. And we don't want you to live there, and he doesn't either. But here's the deal. Listen to me. God is gracious and merciful and sometimes he just he picks us up and pulls us out and 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 we get a brand new fresh start and get things moving from there sometimes because we've just been a back and forth kind of person he he causes us to to have to live with our mistakes for a season in order that they're indelibly etched in our mind that we wouldn't want to go there again you know the bible says that if we return to that stuff it's like a dog going back to its vomit and he doesn't want you going back to that yuck stuff so listen to me. He loves you. And he wants to dust you off and get you back going in the right direction. Here's the good news. If you link up to a people like this, they'll help you get that snowball pushed in the right direction. We'll do whatever we can do, but you, you've got to want it. You've got to want it. And I believe there are some of you here this morning that are making that decision too. I can sense it. Let's take a moment just as a people right now. Let's begin to pray together and let's make these commitments to the Lord right where you're at. I'm not at this moment having an invitation, but just right where you're at, let's just begin to make those commitments. Spirit of God, you hear the prayers and the commitments of your people right now. And I ask, oh God, that as they're making their commitments in the house of the Lord, Lord, that these would not be things that would be easily walked away from. They would not be things that, Lord, they've not considered and they would not be things, Lord, that uh, you would not move according to. But that, Lord, you would infuse it with power right now. That you would infuse it with desire. That you would infuse it with a new passion, Lord. Let your spirit blow across their paths in a new and special way. Let it begin to happen, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are so awesome. You are so awesome. Hallelujah. Come on, just make the commitments. Be sincere with them. If you need to say you're sorry for, for you know, throwing down the towel, pick, up, pick it up again. Say, Lord, I threw it down. I quit on you. I'm picking it up right now in Jesus' name. I'm sorry. I, I repent. I had a bad attitude. I was blaming everybody, but I wasn't looking at myself. So, Lord, I repent from that silly stuff right now. And I'm going to get back on the right track right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're just, we, we, come on, let's just tarry. Just tarry in His presence. Tarry in His presence. You are awesome. 
You are awesome in this place, Lord. You are awesome in this place. Come on, bless the Lord right now. Just honor the Lord here in these last moments. This is, we, we came to worship service today. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. You are awesome, Lord. Hallelujah. Blessed be our God. Blessed be our God. These last moments, with every head bowed and every eye closed, here's what I want to do. If you've not made a commitment to Jesus Christ, or if you, if you would be honest enough to say, you know, years ago I did, but to be honest with you, Pastor, I, I've walked away from that. The Bible says that if you'll acknowledge the Lord publicly, that He'll acknowledge you before the Father. He says that if you deny Him, that He's going to deny you before the Father. That's what the Word says. And so what we do here is, is that we just give people an opportunity because we love you and we want to pray for you. And we believe there's just something special when God begins to, to draw you from where you're standing here to the place of prayer. And so I want to ask you right now, before you go this morning, if there's anything that you need to get right, if your heart's not right, and you would just be honest enough and courageous enough to say, you know what, I'm getting, I'm getting my life right Maybe it's a first-time commitment to Jesus. You've never done this before. I really want you to come. Maybe you did it years ago, and, and it's been so long, it just is meaningless. Come on, let's not get all worked up in a theology or a doctrine. Let's just get our relationship with God back right again. And in these last moments here, these last moments, I want you just to slip out. The Holy Spirit's here. He's knocking at your door. I want you just to come down and just join me here and just say, I'm making my commitments publicly. I'm making my commitment publicly. Anyone, before we go today, Holy Spirit, you just do your work right now. Holy Spirit, you're kind and you're gracious. Just do your work in these last moments. Blessed be our God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, when you just kind of wait and you tarry just a minute, it's a great moment to watch God move. I wish all of you could have my perspective to see God move. Lord, work on your folks here. Guys, are you queued up? No? Okay. Thank you, Lord. Well, Lord, we just seal right now in your people's hearts. We seal in your people's hearts right now, Lord, the work that needs to take place. Lord, the prayer commitments that are going to happen. Lord, I just believe this is going to be one of the greatest weeks in the life of this church. So many good things happening this week. Lord, I believe you're going to impact us indelibly. So, Lord, as we go our separate directions this day, we're just going to believe you for great and mighty things. That, Lord, we're pressing through to that new place. Can the assembly say amen to that? Can you, begin, can you just say right now, say, I am pressing through to that new place. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to not quit. I'm not giving up. I'm not throwing in the towel. I've decided His Word is true. He's called me to win. I'm believing and I'm trusting that will take place in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, put your hands together. Let's make some big noise here this morning. Hallelujah.
Amen and amen. God is good, isn't he? He sure is. All right, now don't forget, ladies, sign up for the for the conference. Don't forget that men Tuesday night, school of leaders back on track Wednesday night. It's going to be a great week. We want you to be a part of it. But before you go, you got to turn around and hug someone's neck again before you go and love on him. Just give him some love and you're released. God bless you. God loves you. We'll see you. You're released.